please let your voice be heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Earlier in the show, we actually had a conversation about Brexit, right, and the vote to leave the European Union and how it was largely motivated by a growing anxiety around uh, open borders in the UK and the fear that immigrants are taking away jobs, stuff that we hear Donald Trump say every time he has a podium. So just like in the UK, this a wave of anti-immigrant sentiment and policies um, have detrimentally affected the immigrant population right here in the U.S. But to protect millions of immigrants and to work to find a solution for the nearly 12 million undocumented workers that currently live in the shadows in America, President Obama stepped up back in November 2014 and said, guys, I will gift you with an executive order for immigration action. Why? Because Congress refuses to vote on the bipartisan immigration reform bill that was passed in the Senate in 2013, but then John Boehner refused to bring it to a vote in the House for months and months and months so president obama stepped up and said this is my country we're gonna do something and this was actually supposed to fulfill his legacy but it's not gonna happen and i'll tell you why in a little bit so under uh, president obama's executive action up to five million undocumented immigrants would have been protected from deportation um he promised to protect the parents of u.s citizens and permanent residents and also expand protection uh, provided through the existing daca program from for unauthorized immigrants who arrived as children um his executive actions also promised to prioritize the deportations of felons and not families um, and it also, in addition, um, in addition to mandating certain undocumented immigrants um, to pass criminal background checks and pay taxes if they want it to be granted temporary stay. These are pretty much bipartisan solutions and um, things that pretty much made sense. But shortly after President Obama made this announcement back in November 2014, a coalition of Republican-led states spearheaded by Texas said, uh-uh, nah, no, you didn't. We're going to stop you, President Obama. You are not going to, and I quote, abuse your executive powers by passing this bill, by, excuse me, by passing this um, executive order. We don't care that 12 million undocumented workers live here and, you know, pick our fruit and clean our bathrooms and contribute so much to our society, whether they're entrepreneurs or whatever they do. Right. We don't care. We're going and we don't care also that Ronald Reagan and George W.H. Bush actually had passed um, some legislation that would have took amnesty even further. We don't care because you're doing it, President Obama. We're going to stop you. And they pretty much succeeded. So they took President Obama to court. Um, a lower court back in uh, 2015 ruled in favor of these 26 states. And they blocked President Obama from implementing any action. In turn, the White House was like, no, we're going to take this to SCOTUS. We're taking it straight to the Supreme Court. And then what happened? The Supreme Court deadlocked on President Obama's executive action on immigration. This leaves basically roughly 4 million people in legal limbo uh, because President Obama cannot implement the uh, implement this action. So um, 
it's very disheartening when I when I heard about this decision. I was like, are you kidding me? Like I was so upset. And a lot of people are upset, and this is going to bring a lot of consequences to a number of undocumented communities. And to join this conversation, we have a very special guest on the line with us. We have Daniel Alt Scherler, and he can correct me on his last name if I mispronounced it. He is the Director of Civic Engagement and Research at Make the Road New York. Hey, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me. Hey. And you were fine on your pronunciation. Don't worry. Oh, thank you so much. So, you know, we pretty much, you know, I just gave a background on, you know, what happened in the last almost, well, about year and a half now. And, you know, it pretty much seems like immigration reform has almost came, come to an end. Um, you know, I don't know if you take that same stance or attitude or if you're like, you know, we're going to continue to fight in a different way. But I want to, you know, start the conversation by asking you, what are some of the effects and immediate consequences that this ruling brings to immigrant communities? Sure. You know, immigrant communities and we're a member-based organization of immigrants across New York and, and folks are tremendously disappointed um, this week with the deadlock in the Supreme Court because it marks a tremendous setback for immigrant families who are now going to continue to live in fear of separation. That is, you know, the largest group of these folks are parents of U.S. citizens, children who are born in, the, in this country, uh, who now leave for work every day and, and come back through the streets at fear of being separated from their children. So this is really, really personal and hurtful for people. Um, that being said, you know, we had a big rally in Foley Square the day after the decision, and, and the real sentiment from our members was this is devastating and it's a setback, and yet folks are committed to continue to fight. Um, we're going to fight, first of all, to make sure that we have a change in our deportation policies so things like immigration raids are stopping and families are not torn apart. Uh, and also, you know, folks know that November is coming along, and many people in immigrant communities are either already... Um, registered voters or folks who have just naturalized um, and are eligible to vote in November, and people are really taking seriously at this moment of, you know, rising anti-immigrant sentiment, yeah. uh, not just in the U.S., but everywhere, the, the need to really get out and vote in November. Guys, if you are just tuning in, we have on the line with us Daniel Altralar. He is the Director of Civic Engagement and Research at Make the Road New York, and we're talking about the atrocious SCOTUS ruling on immigration that recently happened that blocked President Obama's executive action from moving forward. So, And we're going to talk about how you know people like Daniel, Make the Road New York, and other activists and organizers will continue to fight for immigration a little later. But I wanted to sort of talk about that fear that you mentioned, because now that, you know, millions of undocumented workers know that they are no, no longer have protection or even that hope of protection uh, protection in the uh, in the short term, I feel like this creates and further perpetuates fear in undocumented uh, undocumented communities. And you know what happens? I want to use an example. In Flint, Michigan, where we had the toxic water crisis, because so many undocumented people living there were, were fearful of being outed, were fearful of being deported, they denied clean water when workers knocked on their doors when they had on those uniforms and were like hey you know we here's some clean water and they and they wanted to educate them about what was um, what was going on right from their pipes they were like no they kept their doors closed and they also refused to even get tested for uh toxic uh, for having toxic levels of lead in their blood i mean that's what panic does it 
it basically kills people. And I think that for so many undocumented people, you know, in here in New York City and across this nation to know, like, you know what? Wow, this case really just got shut down. What am I supposed to do now? Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're already living in the shadows. So, I mean, so, so Daniel, like, w- what do you think about that, that widespread panic that just continues to, like, fuel our nation? I think there continues to be really pervasive fear. You know, I, I was talking to some of our members after the decision, and, and one of them, you know, a middle-aged mother said to me, you know, when I leave work in the morning and I say goodbye to my kids, or leave for work in the morning and say goodbye to my kids, I'm not sure if I'm going to see them again. Um, and that fear is, is something that I think for most Americans, folks who live in this country, it would just be unthinkable. And that's, you know, that's very real. Um, it's particularly scary at a time when we hear people skewing hate towards immigrants, um, making up all sorts of nonsense, frankly, um, and, you know, using xenophobia as a tool, as a political tool. The flip side of it, I will say in this moment, is I think that folks are also agitated in a good way and motivated to engage and to say, this is not going to happen on our watch, and we are going to organize, and even though we are scared and this is a scary time, um, we are we're going to win. Um, and I think there is a really pervasive sense of, like, we're not going to take it anymore. And, folks, you know, we're going to have a, a summer um, into the fall of, I think, tremendous mobilization um, in immigrant and Latino communities across this country. Yeah, so uh, this is Sarah speaking. Uh, and I come, so my, both my parents are immigrants. So I'm a daughter of immigrants in so many ways. And I want to mention that this widespread panic among undocumented workers continue when you're a legalized, or I hate using the word legalized, but a naturalized citizen. A lot of times you, a people of color, minorities, are put in situations where um, they're uh, put in the wrong place. The justice system's, you know, kind of sometimes set up against them. And my parents, who are Muslim, are afraid to, of saying the wrong things or, or being too critical of government and fear of deportation. So that fear kind of continues. But I kind of want to talk about a different fear here, the, the fear coming from the anti-immigration group, right? And a lot of the conversation going on is that, you know, immig- immigrants are... You know, in, in, uh, undocumented immigrants are bringing crime to this country, right? They're killers. They're rapists, as Donald Trump says. And that's completely not true if you look at the facts. Actually, most, uh, from what I've, I've read a study by K- the Cato Institute, um, I think the scholars Alec Narasta, who's an immigration expert, and they're pretty big on open border immigration, uh, he found that actually more crime actually has been committed by native-born citizens than immigrants, that immigrants in general are actually much more entrepreneurial than um, native-born citizens. Yep. Um, and what even makes me so enraged at this point is that 8,000, 8, uh, there's a green card soldier situation, and 8,000 non-citizens enlist in the military to become U.S. citizens, and 11% of them are of Hispanic origin, but they're not even guaranteed the right to become a U.S. citizen. So they spend their entire life, you know, fighting for the U.S. military, which Donald Trump won't even do, or Newt Gingrich, or any of these anti, uh, uh, anti-immigration um, lawmakers. And they send people off to war, and these non-citizens do, and they risk their life for a country that they're not even accepted from. And that kind of, uh, you know, for me, as, as a daughter of immigrants, as, just, as a decent human being, makes me enraged. So I kind of want to, you know... Talk to you, Daniel, a little bit more on, you know, 
why is there such a rooted fear in misinformation? I know Stanley keeps saying stupid people and stupid voters, but I think a lot of it is based on misinformation. But yet again, there's still so much information out there that's given that's accurate and, you know, gives the true portrayals of uh, undocumented immigrants and immigrants in general. Yet it seems that most Americans aren't really accepting it and they're kind of holding sure. on to the, you know, the rhetoric and, and the false facts given by Trump and Ann Coulter um, and like nonprofit organizations like Numbers USA. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, just to make very real your point in the context of New York, um, you know, in New York City, immigrants are roughly 37% of the population, but they're 45% of the workforce and 49% of small business owners. And in terms of economic contributions, you're absolutely right. They're tremendous and they're always net positive, not just in New York, but across the country. And similarly, you know, crime rates are lower than for native-born populations. So you're absolutely right on the fact. In terms of how misinformation gets spread, I think it's important you know, when you think about a group like Numbers USA, and there are others who fuel this anti-immigrant sentiment, they are ultimately, they all come out of, frankly, hate groups and people who have associated and funded hate groups. If your listeners want to, you know, get a sense of who these folks are, just Google the name John Tanton, T-A-N-T-O-N, Numbers USA, a group called FAIR, a group called Center for Immigration Studies. If you ever look up these groups, they've all been connected to a founder who frankly believed in eugenics and funded Peter Thiel, all sorts right? of racist nonsense. Yeah. But that? It's that Peter Thiel is actually a big donor of uh, Numbers USA and also funded a lawsuit that would prevent people from saying ill things about Donald Trump's hair as well as the Gawker uh, situation. But I know sure. that Peter Thiel has been a huge advocate of anti-immigration you know, lobbying, which I find really kind of disheartening, especially that there's almost a monopoly now in terms of a policy and as well as freedom of press. You know, one of the challenges about, you know, these groups, like the Tanton groups I mentioned, is that often in groups on immigration, in the debate on immigration reform, I think there's also a media responsibility, and there's something called the myth of false equivalence, right, where folks, you know, when 80% of Americans supported comprehensive immigration form years ago, uh, in 20, as recently as 2013, it was very difficult for for journalists often to find, you know, people who had actually who were reasonable folks who were opposed um, and had good arguments. And often they go to the easiest place, which has been, you know, the anti-immigrant movement was smart to invest in build, building in sort of pseudo-think tanks that were able to offer fact sheets and reports and counters to, frankly, more factual information. And unfortunately, sometimes we've seen journalists be lazy and include, you know, people like Mark Bacorian of the Center for Immigration Studies, um, who are cited all the time in major media outlets. And, and you know, it's it. The idea is given that their facts are the same as our facts. I mean, mm-hmm. it's similar to what we see, and now obviously we've been seeing a lot more of it with the rise of Trumpism in America. Exactly. Right. No, you're absolutely right, Daniel. Don't go anywhere. We do have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we will continue this conversation about immigration reform in America right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. WHCR 94.3 FM. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, where I'm so used to Stanley torpedoing my intro that I didn't even know I could speak and bring the show back. I was wondering why you look so puzzled. You've been, like, jumping ahead of me before I could sabotage you so i just quit. <laughs> i just gave up today i didn't i don't know stanley i didn't realize that all right guys so we are back this is let your voice be heard again my name is selena hill i'm here with stanley fritz we have sarah harvard who is a writer at mike she 
is our special guest commentator for the show. And we also, of course, have our intern. Shout out to Monty. And we are having a conversation about immigration reform with Daniel Altschuler. He is with Make the Road New York. And I know that Stanley had a question and a comment, right? Yes, I did. So, Daniel... Fun fact one, I was actually at Foley Square for that um, rally. Oh, yeah, so, you were. Yeah. So um, I was there under um, for, for, for work and also because, like, why the hell would I not be there? My dad's an immigrant. Um, and two, the question that I have for you is in relation to President Obama. So we know he has had what I would like to call this um, aggressive deportation um, policy going forward since he's been president. And now the, the, the executive action that was supposed to hopefully kind of, like, calm that down by a lot has been shot down by the Republican Party and now the Supreme Court. So does that mean we should expect to see his deportations ramp up significantly? Well, first of all, thanks again for uh, for being there with us on Friday. We appreciate all the support. Um, you know, I think it has been a deep, deep point of concern and pain within immigrant communities. During the Obama administration, more than 2 million um, immigrants have been deported and separated from their families, and that's caused you know tremendous uh, devastation in immigrant communities. Um, in 2014, you know, part of that, frankly, I think was just a bad strategic calculus, thinking that, you know, if he ramps up enforcement numbers and shows Republicans that he's quote-unquote real on enforcement, that they would come back to the table on uh, on immigration reform. And, and, you know, we all know the facts. That just didn't happen. Um, and this was, you know, similar to what we were just talking about, this wasn't actually a conversation about reasoned debate on the facts or merits of immigration. This was ugly politics. Um, I think what we've seen in in recent years is that numbers and in, in twenty starting in twenty fourteen, you know, numbers have dropped from a peak of over four hundred thousand to what's something now um, in the two hundred thousands. But that's still a tremendous number, um, and we think the Obama administration can do more and must do more. You know, among other things, we've seen this year. Um, the Obama administration and the Department of Homeland Security announcing and or leaking in a couple of different instances raids that it was going to oh, be yeah, uh, unleashing on immigrant communities. And that caused, you know, we talked about terror and fear. Mm-hmm. When people across our communities heard that all of a sudden ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, was going to be unleashing these raids in particular to focus on Central American immigrants, so they said, it caused tremendous fear, and, and things like that just need to right. stop immediately. No, you're absolutely... You're absolutely right, Daniel, and I just wanted to chime in and say that earlier this year, ICE um, detained over 120 adults and children in places like Georgia and Texas. A lot of them were women as well, and they were just, like, busting in people's doors at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning and telling them, hey, you come with me. And then we had more uh, deportation raids not too long ago, and U.S. immigration officials confirmed that they arrested 331 individuals uh, during this raid in the Midwest. However, they said no children were deported. But, I mean, this is the thing. If you think about the people who are coming here, especially from Central America, they are fle- they are refugees fleeing uh, drug infested communities, gang uh, gang infested communities, poverty. poverty. I mean, there's just so much, and the fact that we don't treat them and give them asylum or refugee status, but instead we arrest them and we send them right back to these third world countries where their lives are in jeopardy, says a lot about our country and our officials. This is who we are as a nation during World War II before we actually engaged. 
engaged in a war, they would send back entire ships full of Jewish people to Germany because they didn't want to deal with it. But why haven't we learned from our mistakes? Because this is America. Also, we actually banned Chinese immigrants from coming to this country in yeah. the Chinese Exclusionary Act in 1882. So we have a history of xenophobia in this country. Then we put Japanese people. people in internment camps. Yeah, we were the first immigrants. Well, I mean, not we, <laughs> but, you know, uh, the founding fathers and the colonials and pilgrims were... The first immigrants here, they literally invaded this country and colonized and pillaged a lot of people. So yeah. I find it very ironic how uh, the tables have turned here. We're vilifying very peaceful, hardworking individuals who are trying to make a new life here in this country. Yeah. I mean, we could say it's ironic. But then again, if we look at the like the imperialists, the people that come over here and that have white supremacy ingrained in them, they think that it's their right. It's their, you know, it's a it's not a privilege, but it's their right to take over their own things. And anybody who jeopardizes or even threatens that supremacy and that privilege needs to be jailed or killed. And that's the same type of sentence sentiment that this had that this country was founded on hundreds of years ago and that we still practice today it's Mm. about entitlement i'm sorry to kind of interrupt here but i find it really fascinating to me is that a lot of the right-wing groups or a lot of people who are anti-muslim anti-refugee anti-immigrant or so on or anti-feminist movements um they often use the argument that we are victimizing ourselves when we have victimhood which i find really fascinating because this country was literally founded based upon victimhood (laughs) you know the declaration of independence and so on is because they felt you know victimized which isn't wrong to delegitimize it but it just seems that there's a sense of entitlement going on here that you know the argument i always hear from a lot of these white supremacists i would say or or right wingers saying white. oh well well they said like you know the white people created like, you hate white people so much we created the best form of democracy in the world we created the best form of civilization yet you have gays who are saying well we're still being discriminated we're still being shot at muslims are saying they're being locked up or being killed you know the black populations that were being killed in the back of you know paddy wagons and being shot at trans people are saying that oh look you know are being killed left and right and no one sees it and immigrants are being deported. You had to say, oh, well, look at Saudi Arabia. Look at Cuba. Look <laughs> at Somalia. It could be right? worse. As if you just <laughs> said that the country, your country, your civilization is the best one ever, yet you set your comparison so low to a con- to a government that has civil rights violations. So I find that so hypocritical well, in so many ways. What you're missing is that, yes, I shot you in the face and then spit on the wound. <laughs> but at least I didn't push you off a cliff. Yeah. Because if you go to Saudi Arabia, that's what's going to happen to you. So you should be happy to be in a white man's America. Mm. No, it's, it's it's ridiculous. But you know what? I want to uh, get Daniel back into the discussion and <laughs> ask. Maybe there might be a light at the, at the end of the tunnel um, when it comes to the this SCOTUS this ruling <laughs> and, um, you know, just moving forward when it comes to immigration reform. And that could be the fact that more Hispanics and Hispanic voters might be motivated to vote Democrat and for Hillary Clinton in the oh. 20th. 16 election because they see like I mean you know SCOTUS didn't rule in our favor and Donald Trump has no regard when it comes to ridiculing and just bashing immigrants whether they're Muslim or Hispanic or Mexican so you know Daniel do you think that you know maybe more people might be uh, motivated to vote for Hillary well, you know, we're a nonpartisan organization, so we don't support candidates or parties. But what I can tell you is that there is tremendous energy in Latino and immigrant communities around the country, and we see it first in the push to naturalize. And so we've seen, you know, the latest data I saw was year over year, we saw a 28% increase in naturalization. That it means people who are legal permanent residents taking the next step and becoming citizens, many of them with the desire and with the real motivation being to be able to register to vote. 
similarly, we you know we've just started sending out people to do nonpartisan voter registration in the streets in places like Long Island, and we've seen that particularly in communities of color and immigrant communities, the response has been very strong. And I think you know what that means is that going into November, you know whether it's in New York or in swing states, we're going to see you know Latino uh, Americans, we're going to see immigrants across this country saying we're going to be there in November. Mm. And we're going to make sure that we are supporting people who support our values and are not trying to devastate our families. And I think, you know, that's going to have an impact. No, I agree with you there, Daniel. And I just want to say, you know, uh, we support the work that you're doing with Make the Road New York. How can our listeners um, and people located here in New York City uh, be supportive of Make the Road New York or get in touch with you and your organization? Thanks. Um, so we are we located in Queens, Brooklyn, um, and in Staten Island in the city. We have offices in all of those places. The Brooklyn number folks can reach us at is 718-418-7690. That's 718-418-7690. Or you can look us up on maketheroadny.org. Uh, we are always looking to get folks involved. And, you know, we had a protest on Friday. We have several protests every week. And our members are very committed to fighting uh, for justice, for respect and dignity for our communities uh, through November and beyond. Thank you again, Daniel, for joining us here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And, you know, before we close out this segment, I just want to mention that the fact that there was a split ruling in the Supreme Court is due to we only have eight judges, four liberals and four conservatives. We all know that um, incident Scalia died back in February and the Republican led Senate has refused to act on Obama's uh, Obama's nomina- <laughs> nomination um, for appeal court judge Merrick Garland to replace Scalia. Right. So, I mean, this, again, just further emphasizes and shows us why we need nine uh, judges to be sitting on our Supreme Court. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, do you, I just want to give you guys like 30 seconds to just wrap up on um, where do we go uh, now when it comes to immigration reform? We're at the same place we were at last time. And this time, actually, there's an opportunity to make a difference. Elections are coming up in November. Elections are coming up in November. That's all I'm going to say. Good point. Sarah, I mean, we know that you are uh, definitely on the front lines when it comes to, you know, immigration activism and just speaking out uh, for other immigrants like yourself. What do you see as the next step moving forward? I just want to say I'm not an immigrant. My oh, parents, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, yeah, my parents were the daughter of here. immigrants. Yes. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, you know, it's really hard to tell. Uh, I'm really afraid of, you know, a Trump presidency. Um, but I also think that, you know, with Hillary becoming president, it's still, uh, I think, would well, I think it would ca- cause a lot of frustration from the right as well. Um, so where she'll be, you know, if she is president, she has implemented, um, you know, is trying to implement legislation or, or certain policies, she would be faced with opposition here. Um, also, I think that Hillary isn't so great in terms of immigration and other, other um, and policies and so on. So I, I am a little bit not optimistic in here. And I think what it really comes down to is social change and educating people. And I think Daniel made a good point uh, on the myth of false equivalency, where there's journals who are so lazy to not really do a full research and understanding, you know, who they're quoting and what organizations are citing as real facts or as false facts. Um, so, you know, I think as, as in terms of society, as long as we are misinformed and we're not really willing to double check. And, and I think because we're so short, we have such a short attention span that we like see things within a 10 second video or through a meme that oftentimes is false uh, in the power of the Internet and how fast it's able to kind of spread. 
I'm a little bit more concerned, um, but I hope that we'll persevere, and I hope that eventually I'll have more faith in our society. For the record, journalists are overworked and underpaid. So some of that glossing over and being lazy is because they have 17 different beats and 4,500 different stories, as you know better than I do. Right, but I think it's also, we, we know that we're overworked. We know that this job is 24 hours and uses a 24-hour cycle, but we, we also should understand there's a responsibility here. It's not just about getting paid. Is that our information that we're giving out is really crucial. It, de- it determines what the public mm-hmm. is going to vote on or, or how it's going to influence lawmakers in many ways. So, um, you know, it, it is a responsibility. So the fact that we're overworked, we have to be understanding of that and we have to also realize the stories that we tell stories of people mm-hmm. matters and we don't want to falsely you know give a um wrong or inaccurate narrative or or story uh, and that could you know eventually really create a negative impact yeah. in their future generation as well yeah for me being a journalist is about being ethical and making sure that my information that i'm distributing to the public um is accurate and does promote a message or a mission that would only better society. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you're not doing that, you're in it for the pay. You're definitely in the wrong. Yeah, you're <laughs> in the wrong no, field. It's okay. Really, and, uh, one point, but it's really interesting. That's uh, I think in American media is really polarized. I went to Europe. Oh, yeah, definitely. And saw it, and it's really about money and polarization and influence. And I mean, those are really important. But we need to find a way to be more ethical, like you said. No, you are absolutely right. And I just want to close out this conversation by saying that it is so important for us to continue to create an environment that is welcoming and supportive of immigrants. As Sarah mentioned, they are some of the most entrepreneurial people in our country. We depend on them. Our economy depends on them. They're our neighbors. You know, they're our they're our co-workers. They're people in our worship centers. They're human beings churches. in general. Right, you know? and they're human beings. And I think that when we adopt this type of sentiment and we become so fearful of the other and this whole, like, browning of america that i keep hearing about it's only taking us back america has a horrible track record when it comes to imperialism when it comes to people of color colonizing people i mean it's just we need to learn now and for donald trump to be so popular when he's just saying things that archie bunchers archie bunker said back in the 70s and he's just basically adopting an attitude that we always had in this country it's a shame it's a shame that people are just following him in droves and i feel like they have not we have yet to realize the error of our ways we have a lot of work to do people and it starts with us it starts right here and let your voice be heard we do our best to make sure that we distribute information that can help other people in our communities but you know what after you hear a show like this after you read sarah uh, harvard's uh, article and mike <laughs> make sure you share that make sure you talk to someone else who may not be educated because when we're educated we're informed and we're empowered And on that note, we're going to close out, but don't go anywhere. Stanley's coming back with a quickie rant right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard.